find today uh, transformative, <clears throat> encouraging, and, and, and in, uh, giving you a lot of hope uh, for your, your Christian walk. Several years ago, my mother, who is now 98, uh, we, we were doing a, a, a big birthday, and when you hit like mid-80s, every year is a big birthday, Okay. Uh, and so I don't know how far back it was. I, th- I thought it was about her 90th birthday, but it seems like it was further back than that. It might have been 85. But you know, that's amazing when you can live healthy that long. It's just amazing. And she's such a blessing. But we were, we, we have a, I have a cousin uh, on my dad's side of the family. His name is David Ryan. And uh, David uh, is older than I am. But he has a piece of property that he has a party barn. He does catering. Um, He has a daylily farm. Uh, David has a degree in uh, forestry from Duke University. I I think he knows a lot about horticulture. He's just an amazing guy. And so we called and said, hey, we'd like to have as many whiteheads and extended family to come to this big event to celebrate her birthday uh, would you rent us the party barn and cater the event? So he did. We had a great time. I had not been to his property. Uh, I think I'd been down there maybe once many years ago, but he had developed it so much more. And uh, so as we drive up, we see this beautiful home, rustic home that he's got. Uh, and it's near Athens, Tennessee. So if you're on the stretch of 75 going between Knoxville and Chattanooga, you'll pass a sign that says Athens. And I think there's a sign out there that says uh, uh, Sunshine Hollow on it, on one of the signs. And uh, that's his place. So uh, we, we drive up on the property, and he's got this beautiful home. He's got a beautiful... So he'd cut these terraces out, and on these terraces was, were plantings. Uh, some things that were indigenous to Tennessee, others that were probably rare, most exquisite things. And it was just covered with these beautiful flowers, uh, uh, blooming shrubs, all kinds of things. But the thing that really amazed me was the water cannons he was using to water everything. And these were like gigantic... Uh, uh, I guess gigantic water uh, things that you use to water your yard with. So it's going, and they were shooting out like hundreds of gallons. There must have been six, eight, or nine of them up there, and just blasting the hillside with all this water. And I said to him as he was giving us a tour, I said, David, how in the heaven's name can you afford all of that water to, to keep those plants healthy? He said, it doesn't cost me a dime. I said, come on, that's got to be thousands of gallons in just a few hours. He said, no, when we were drilling the well on the property, we punched through to a river that's running under my property. All I have to do is pump it to the surface, and it just bl- I just blow it out. I use it liberally to keep everything healthy. Several years ago, second story. Paul had just gone to University of Oklahoma, been there about a year. Uh, we wanted to get with him over spring break, so we hired a, a fly fishing guide, and we Susan and I traveled to Dora, Missouri. Uh, Paul came, met us there for a weekend. And this uh, fly fishing guide was named Shelby Nold. I'm hoping I'm going to text him this message, so I hope, Shelby, you get to hear it because you were part of this sermon today. Shelby's a Christian man. This was a Christian retreat center. And uh, he picked us up uh, the next morning, took us up river. We were on the North Fork of the White River, a gorgeous uh, river in Missouri. And uh, so we go up to his home, we're going to get on a boat and drift down, and we're going to fly fish all day, and he treated us royally, it was fantastic, I'd love to go back sometime. But before we got in, he said, uh, could I show you something? I said, sure, have at it. So we walked up a trail that went parallel to the 
White River. And then we turn back away from the river towards uh, a, a hill, which is really more of a mountain. And we went back into this uh, area, and he showed me something that was the most awesome uh, sight I had ever seen. And I took a video of it, and I knew then someday I'm probably going to use this in a sermon. And so today's the day, Shelby, that I am going to use this video, and I want you to see it right now. It's not so deep. It's cold as ice. It's cold, yeah. It's 55 degrees. You know, it's So I hope you heard what he said. He's, I asked him, tell me again how much water's coming out of that hole. He said, 80 to 100 million gallons every day. It was coming up out of the ground. And I, you couldn't see it on my video, but if you looked in through the water, it had vegetation that was just doing this most pristine, if the Garden of Eden was any prettier, I, I, I can't imagine it. The most pristine, that, that water was pure, and the plantings that were growing down in there were just floating like this, and it forked, and it went out this way and dumped into the White River, and it forked and went out this way and dumped into the White River. And his house was down this direction, so the river was flowing this way. It was the most incredible thing. I did a little math on this yesterday. Just taking the conservative 80 million gallons a day, that's 3,333,000 gallons every hour. That video was 42 seconds long. In one minute, 55,555 gallons pour out of that hole. You probably saw 55,000 gallons of water come out in that 42-second video. There are phenomenon in this world that God has created where rivers flow underground. I said, where does this river originate? He said, I don't know, back up the mountain somewhere. But it goes underground and it comes out right there. The title of my message today is Open the Wells. And this came two months ago when I was in our Friday night prayer meeting, Open the Wells. And God spoke to me to just look up that passage. And when I did and began to read it, the whole thing of my cousin and what I'd seen there, this right here came to my mind. And my, my brain just started exploding with thought. I shared a little bit of that night, but I knew when I went back to sit down, the next time Stephen asked me to preach, this is going to be my message. Open the wells. And I've had some great conversations with Barbara Riley. I've grown to love her so much. And uh, she also had done some study on opening the wells and had read that passage either that day or just that week. And we've had several discussions about it since. So our message today centers around a father of the faith. And his name is Isaac. He is the supernaturally born son of Abraham and Sarah. Now we often speak of the father of the Jewish race as Father Abraham. And when we speak of the original fathers of the faith, we'll use a phrase that's often used in the scriptures, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They always come in the, the, the threes there. These names represent the first three generations of the Jewish lineage, and the beginnings of our faith as believers in Christ. Our spiritual heritage as followers of Christ comes from these three men who were faithful to God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A father, a son, and to Abraham, a grandson. We call them patriarchs. 
And that title means father or founder. But did you know that the patriarch Isaac, the middle one, was a man who more or less lived in the shadows? And if you think about it, he lived his life first in the shadow of his great father Abraham, and then he lived his life in the shadow of his great son Jacob. Someone has said that Isaac was the, and I quote, the ordinary son of an extraordinary father, and the ordinary father of an extraordinary son. Why do I say that? Well, Abraham is the star of some 14 chapters of the book of Genesis, and Jacob is the central figure of another 12 or so. But Isaac is the only feature, he is only featured in a handful of chapters. But it's here in my passage today, Genesis 26. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it or it will be on the screen. Chapter 26 of Genesis, we are allowed to see, get a glimpse into the life and work of this patriarch. Now, before I read my scripture, let me just apply this, what I've just said. Sometimes people feel like they live in the shadows of God's great mercy and light and wonderful work. Maybe you feel like you live in the shadows. You feel that you are not as noticed by God. That God has given other people some great calling and things to and opportunities to invest their life in. But you're somehow overlooked. Uh, Your life doesn't count, you think, the same as others that seem to be doing what you feel are great things. Well, let me tell you, God had a plan for Isaac. And he recorded some of his story here for us to gain knowledge and understanding about spiritual things. Never think that you're a nobody in the kingdom of God. Never think that God has overlooked you. He has an equal plan and purpose for your life in his mind. And that's just as wonderful for you as any great pastor or or, or someone you admire who's a great person of faith. You may be in the shadows as you see it, but know that God has had you in His mind. And He's had a plan for your life that will make a difference in someone else's. So let me set up these verses we're about to read. Abraham has lived his life, married Sarah, the whole thing with Isaac has happened. Now he's dead and gone. He's been buried in a a tomb. Isaac has been given his wife, Rebekah. Esau and Jacob, who were born to Isaac and Rebekah, are now grown young men. The whole uh, meat and porridge stew and birthright issue has already happened. If you look back a chapter or so, you'll see that's already been done. So Isaac is a very aged man. But we find Isaac continuing this nomadic lifestyle that his father Abraham practiced. So let's look at chapter 26 of Genesis, and we'll begin with verse 12. It reads, When Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted. For the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. And finally, verse 16, Abimelech, who is the king of the Philistines, ordered Isaac to leave the country. And he says to him, go somewhere else. You've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened the wells that his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. And that's a whole other sermon, but we're not going to tackle those today. Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerar Valley, and discovered a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said. And they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. 
So Isaac named the well Esek, which means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it. So Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space. For he said, at last, the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. Pardon me. I knew as loud as I was singing down there, that was going to pay me bad dividends later. (laughs) But you know what? The Lord's worthy. Let's pray. Father, as we have read your word, I pray that you'll help us to apply it. Pray that your spirit will speak strongly and clearly to us about opening some wells in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Philistines in our story are the same tribe of people that we see when David fights Goliath and when Samson is tempted by Delilah. Israel has many encounters through the years with the Philistines. But in this time period, the Philistines were not as strong as they were many generations later when David dealt with them. Historians believe that they were a, similar, a smaller tribe, and we see here that they are threatened by Abraham's wealth and presence. Isaac's father, Abraham, had lived as a nomad in this land for years. You can remember, if you know your, your scriptures, that he left his father's house to go to a land that he had never seen before. And he did it in obedience to the promise from God. So in that nomadic lifestyle, he would settle in an area for some time, graze his flocks, plant gardens, maybe even plant fields. Each place he would dig a well, perhaps many wells. Jesus, in in Genesis 21, it tells of the story of the birth of Isaac. But it also tells the story of Abraham's encounter with Abimelech. Now, let me say here, Abimelech is like the title Pharaoh. That's not the man's name, it's his title. And so, one Abimelech may be different from another. And I'm, I'm to believe that the Abimelech Abraham dealt with is a different king of the Philistines than, than uh, Isaac has. Nonetheless, they both got afraid. So it tells the story of Abraham's encounter with this king, and he and Abraham make a treaty between themselves that Abraham, who's growing stronger and richer every day, would not cause any trouble as long as he lived in the land, as long as he was a nomad. This chapter in Genesis also mentions that Abraham dug a well there, and the Philistine servants of Abimelech seized it. Well, this made Abraham very angry. And there were tensions and concerns even then as Abraham, who was so clearly blessed by God that he might grow mighty and and overthrow these people. Of course, Isaac is a little boy during this time and he probably grew up watching all this. He was in this area at the time. We know that because the last verse of Genesis 21 says this, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So Isaac finds himself now roaming these same hills and coming across wells of his father, Abraham. But these wells were decommissioned. They were in an irreparable state. They had been filled up with dirt and stones. The evidence of a former well could be seen as it probably had stones stacked around the mouth of it. And as Isaac roamed the area looking for a place to settle, he would find one of those old wells of his father. But peering over into the well, there would be bitter disappointment. Every time, every time, every time another one was discovered, he would see that it was filled up with dirt, debris, rocks. And done so by those who did not want the well to exist. I want you to listen to that. The well of Abraham and all of his labor 
was filled up by people who didn't want the well to exist. It's strange to me that the Philistines wouldn't want the well for themselves. Why wouldn't they want to enjoy the fresh water that could be attained by just dipping their bucket down in the hole? They could prosper as Isaac did. But they were so jealous and envious. Sometimes when we have success, when we're blessed of God and people in the world watch us, they just want to fill up our well. They don't want a part of the well. They just want to see yours filled up. They're envious of our success, of our relationship with God, and they'll judge, they'll criticize and fight us and be angry with us. Some might even go so far as to jeopardize any further success. They will throw trash and rocks and dirt in your well. I worked with a lady like that years ago when I was in seminary. She was constantly berating me, demeaning me, and especially when she found out that I was a believer in Jesus. And she was trying to rob me of my joy, trying to rob me of my place of relationship with God, casting doubt, casting, you know, ill words spoken to me. So don't be surprised when you walk in God's blessing that unbelievers will have sour grapes toward you because of those blessings. But listen to me, this should never be in the church. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If the Philistines could have only understood, they could learn some valuable lessons, some valuable things from Isaac's people, from his enterprise. He obviously knew how to plant, to irrigate, to raise livestock, and to finance his operation in a successful way. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So, if someone is enjoying the blessing of God in their lives, if they're a spiritual giant in your eyes, get close to them. Try to learn what, what are you doing that's attracting God's blessing to you so that you might enjoy the same. But there's another more personal point I want to make here. I want to encourage you to guard your own heart from an envious spirit. Not long ago, about two months ago, I was with a friend and he was sharing me, with me blessings in his life. And I walked away from that encounter feeling envious. I got in my car, was driving down the highway, and the Lord said to me, you need to be rejoicing with him. You need to be rejoicing, not being jealous. And that word, spoken to my mind and heart, said, shut that down. God, I'm sorry. I, I do. I thank you for that you blessed him so much. And that helped me so, so much as I drove down the road and left that encounter. Make absolutely sure that you can rejoice when others receive blessings. Has anybody ever had a problem with that? Anybody? Can you raise your hand? Never have? Oh, you have. Okay, a few. That, that, that jealous spirit, that envious spirit, can come between brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it will sneak in on you. Oh, before you know it. And it will destroy every good thing. So be able to celebrate the good God is doing in the lives of your family and friends. And really mean it. Don't fill up their well of joy and blessing with the dirt and the stones of your envy. You know, Peter was getting a word from Jesus, uh, not, not the greatest encouraging word in John, uh, I think it's chapter 21. Jesus is telling Peter, uh, and it says in there, uh, probably how he was going to die. They're gonna, you're going to lead you around, they're going to stretch your arms out, you're going to die a certain way. That's not a great encouraging word, but Peter looks over at the uh, disciple John and he looks back to Jesus and says, well, what about him? What are you going to do to him? What's going to go on with him? And here's what Jesus says. If it's my will, Peter, that he live until I return again, 
What is that to you? Remember Gidon in Israel saying, what is that to you? It must be a Jewish phrase. What is that to you? And he said this, Peter, you follow me. You take what I give you, and don't you worry about John. That's not any of your concern. It is foolishness to compare yourself with others when it comes to the things of God. But when they measure, and so 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, but when they measure themselves with one another and compare themselves with one another, they're like fools. They're without understanding. So here's a thought I want to leave with you here. Drink from your own well and don't be jealous of another man's well. And certainly do not fill his well up with dirt and rocks of your envy. You know, the Philistines in the Bible almost always represent warfare and conflict. Have you ever heard a good story about the Philistines? Huh? And you go, oh, weren't they sweet? Oh, wasn't God good to them? No, the Philistines are always about the warfare. Every time they show up, there are tensions, disagreements, fighting, hateful words. And to the point that David said to Goliath, you're an uncircumcised Philistine. I'm going to take your head off. And you know, according to Genesis 10, they were actually the sons of Ham, who was the son of Noah. That's where they came from. They lived along the seacoast of the land of Canaan, right there on the Mediterranean Sea, extending to the north of Joppa. And if you go out and look at a map right now, Joppa's still there. So the north of Joppa, down to a little south, further south uh, of Gaza. You've heard of the Gaza Strip, haven't you? Gaza's still there. So that's the whole area they lived in. The Philistines were a pagan people. According to Genesis, uh, oh, I already said that, 10, they were actually sons of Ham, already said that. And their most well-known God was Dagon. And he's even mentioned in the Old Testament. They were actually in the land of Canaan before Abraham was. And they possibly could have had a natural uh, right to claim the land as their own. But what they didn't know is God had already given that land to somebody else, to Abraham. And the promise was, Abraham, you go to this land, and wherever your feet walk, that's going to be yours. Go as far and wide as you want, that's going to be yours. Their argument just wouldn't hold up, because God had already decided the areas of land among all the nations. I want to show you that. In Deuteronomy 32, we have Scripture that shows this. First four verses read like this. And this is a song of Moses. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. As raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. This is Moses singing. I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. I remember a a wonderful chorus we used to sing about 20 years ago. Those were the words to that chorus. It was one of the most enjoyable ones to just worship God with these words. But I read those words right there to set you up for the following verses that tell us who gets to decide the fate and the blessing of men. So we're going to skip down to verse 7. And it says this, and Moses is continuing to sing, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father... He will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. Go ask your dad. Go ask your granddad about the history of the world. They'll tell you what God did. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set boundaries of the peoples 
according to the number of the children of Israel, for the Lord's portion, now he goes more toward Israel, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. So not only was Canaan given to Abraham, but God established the boundaries for all the nations of the world. And these Philistines think this land is theirs, but they got another thing coming. Abraham has been given this land for himself. Thusly, Isaac and Jacob. I used to think these Philistines were a part of the tribes that should have been totally destroyed when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Several hundred years later, they have to come in, they have to have this conquest, as you recall, and they were supposed to take out every tribe. And God sometimes scolded them for not taking out a tribe. They didn't fully annihilate every one. But I discovered in my study for this message that the Philistines were left in the land by God himself. Most interesting. Remember David had issues with the Philistines. We've talked about Samson had issues. They were constantly being a problem. Why wouldn't God just make sure they're gone? He kept them right there in the land for two reasons. Let's look at Judges 3, 1 through 4. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might, number one, test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. So this is after the conquest of Canaan, is when this is referring. And he's left the Philistines along the seacoast to test them. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. At least those who had not formerly known it. Then he itemizes who these uh, tribes are. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, Sidonians, and the Hivites, who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, Hermon, to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them. Here's number two to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Now, I know we're not talking about wells uh, significantly yet, but it's coming. But I'm setting you up to understand a few other things. Sometimes we say, well, let me say this. I believe we live in a Philistine culture. It's pagan. We live in a Philistine culture. And it's growing worse every day. They're, gra- they're gaining strength, feels like. And we have, to, we have to do spiritual warfare. Not physical warfare. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers that are, that are making this Philistine culture what it is. And I know... We intercede and we're asking God to break down things in this world. And, and He does. We've, we've seen what's happened with Roe versus Wade here in the last little while. But sometimes God leaves some Philistines out there in the culture, in your life personally. And you have to war against it. You have to become a soldier. And I'm telling you, in my early 30s, I would pray, God, why do I have to fight so much? I'm tired. I'm only 30-something years old. I'm tired of fighting. Why why is is it so hard? Why do you have to fight for every inch of ground you want to take that you're calling me to take? Got counsel from a great pastor one time. He said, suck it up, dude. That's the way Christian life is. You've got to fight for it. You've got to fight for it. And there may be some Philistines in your life, some thorn in your flesh, some pain, something that vexes your spirit. Things that are, we see today that are blatantly the work of the evil one. It's not to say that we don't war, we don't fight, but we don't fight by flesh and blood. I've already said that too, but I want to say it again. 
And maybe God is not removing some of this in order to test us. Will you obey me in that? In spite of the enemy that's standing before you. We always are, as charismatics, we want to win every time. We want to win every battle. But it may not be that way. The Philistine world culture will try to fill our wells up with dirt. And I'm going to go over some wells here at the end in a minute. Wells of intercession, faith, healing, righteousness, and sanctification, prayer and intimacy with God. Stuff we talk about all the time. But I'm telling you, if you look at your life real closely, I'm going to bet there's some wells in your life that's if they're not filled up all the way, they're not what they're not as open as they used to be. Sometimes a Philistine culture, and I, I see this around, even in my own life sometimes, can shut your voice down. There's a well that's clogged up because you're not speaking Jesus like you used to. Not worshiping like you used to. That well is being clogged up. And, you're, and that's just a symptom. When our mouth won't speak, won't worship, won't won't testify, that's just a symptom of, of a well in here that's clogged up. It's been, been dumped in by the world or by experience. And we haven't kept the well open. So let's look at how Isaac handled these Philistines who were constantly giving him grief. And this first one is going to seem like it's the antithesis of what I just said. But see how they can go together. Lord, help them see how they can go together. I'm going to show you four character traits of Isaac that we can emulate. Remember we said, hang around the guy that's being blessed and we'll be, we can become more like them. So first of all, Isaac is a man of peace. Well, you just told me, Pastor, that we need to war. You do but you need to keep the shalom of God in here. Don't get drawn into the drama of the world. Be careful, church, who you're listening to in this day and age when so much is happening politically. People will draw you into a fleshly response, and that's not where you're to be. You have to fight on your knees, and you have to fight in the spoken word we don't go to war. That should be a final, absolutely final resort. And I, don't, I just pray we don't go there. In every circumstance, Isaac refused to be drawn into a fight in the flesh. He was not there to quarrel, not there to demand his own way over these wells. Each time he was asked to leave an area and give up what he had established that brought him prosperity... In these cases, he did not fight back. And there will be times when you need to do that. To draw swords meant a loss of peace. And he demonstrates here that he is doing everything he can in his power to keep that peace. The Philistines were a people of war and they lived by the sword. And they weren't having a good day unless they were fighting somebody. Do you know people like that? Maybe you have a sister or brother like that. Some families do. Sitting on the beach one day, years ago, enjoying the surf and the sun, started hearing these two sisters fussing at each other over to our left. We're kind of like, look over there. Man, that's, that's not good. Doing it out there in public. And one of them hauled off and slapped the other one across the face. Smacked her, almost knocked her down. Drew her into her drama. And she paid a terrible price. Maybe you have a boss like that. They just, they just want the negative drama all the time. They're always picking. Some people aren't happy unless there's some negative drama going on. You can have all the peace in the world in your heart and they can come into your presence in five minutes. They're challenging the shalom of God in you. You have to guard that. 
Let me encourage you to keep the well of peace in your life open and drink freely of it as often as you can. Protect that well. It's valuable to you. Should you have to daily or often deal with a Philistine spirit that wants to war and fight, don't let them pull you in to fight on their terms. We fight not against flesh and blood. Fight your battles on God's terms, in God's way. Be a man or woman of peace. Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. And be thankful for that peace. Be thankful that God is there to guide you and lead you. Secondly, Isaac was a man of patience. He didn't fight back, we've said, when he had loss. He didn't question God. and He knew God had promised him. If you read in some verses earlier than where we were, where we were at a while ago, we'll see that God spoke to Isaac and said, I just want you to know now uh, that what I told your father, the same for you. The promise of this land is yours. So he knew that God had promised him this land, and he didn't question himself because he knew what he knew. God had spoken, Isaac had heard, that settled it. He was confident of the word of the Lord and his ability to hear it. That will keep you patient in times of stress. When you, it seems like the song we sang a while ago, when nothing is going to happen. When we're waiting on the promise to come. We know God spoke, I heard it, that's enough. Faith. When the Philistines challenged him and filled up his wells, or they took a well that they didn't even dig, Isaac was patient in the process. One might say he exhibited meekness. I was in a men's a small group two Wednesday, three Wednesday nights ago. Um, David Skaggs and Joe Inman and Matt Russell were there. Had a great evening with them. And this whole thing of meekness came up. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is enduring injury with patience and without resentment, even when you have the power and the means to retaliate. Isaac could have done different. He could have challenged those guys. He could have, he could have gone over and grabbed a few of them by the neck and said, you will never take another well from me. But a meek follower of Christ can turn all the problems, all the insults, all the injustices in life over to the Lord. And that believer will trust God to take care of the situation. Providing protection, defense, provision, mercy when needed, justice when needed. Isaac practiced the principles Paul talks about in Romans 12, 17 and 18. Paul says there, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Thirdly, he was a man of persistence. Isaac was forced to move on to dig yet another well. The Bible says in Genesis that... Uh, Moses, when he was looking for a well, digging wells, he used a divining rod. And I don't know how Isaac would have gone out to find a well. Uh, We didn't read it in the passage I read this morning, but they were in a drought. They were in famine. And yet he could find water. In those days, they had no machines, no electronics to survey with, no imaging system, no ground-penetrating radar Nothing of the modern technology we would have today to discover underground water. This would have been a time-consuming, back-breaking, extremely risky enterprise. The Bible doesn't tell us if they dug wells that came up dry. But that's highly possible. But each and every time Isaac was challenged and forced to leave and start over, he examples a man of extreme persistence. There's no throwing up his hands to quit, no throwing in the towel. He moves on and either opens up an old well of Father Abraham's or he digs a new one. Either way, it's hard work. And his enterprise is shut down for a short time until he can get that well dug and find new water. 
Romans 2.7, Paul writes, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, God will give eternal life. In your spiritual journey, you need to keep some wells dug. There are wells that God wants us to dig. And we have to be persistent to keep those wells open, to dig some new ones. Maybe if we're careless, a well gets filled up, we have to go back and open it up again. Will we be persistent? I want to show you the same scripture in another translation. The New King James says, eternal life is given to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seeking for glory, honor, and immortality. So, even patience is part of the process of perseverance. And I want to spiritualize this point just a bit more here than I will the others. Water often represents a significant spiritual facet of the believer's life in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, water is used as a picture of the cleansing of the Word of God. For example, Ephesians 5.26 speaks of Christ's finished work on the cross and the power that emanates from that in His Word. It reads like this, that He, based on His work on the cross, that He might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the Word. So there's a cleansing power that the Word has. Water is also used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit at work in us. John 7.38 He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. We love that verse here. That water that just joyfully emanates from our being is the Holy Spirit within us. John Uh, 7.38 He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart flows this living water. John 4.10 Jesus answered and said to to her, and this is the Samaritan woman, who is coming to a well of Abraham to, to get water. Jesus says to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, And He would have given you living water. With the Word of God, this water of cleansing, it will not cleanse you just because it exists. The Spirit of God will not be that artesian well coming up in you just because He is there. Isaac was nomading in Gerar and Beersheba during a time of drought and famine. And unless he did some work, unless he opened some old wells and dug some new ones, he would have no water and thus enjoy no blessing and prosperity that it would bring. He would be have considered negligent in every way if he abandoned his responsibility to his family his servants, his flocks. And if we want the cleansing power of the Word to do their miraculous work in us, we must dig some wells. If we want the Holy Spirit to effervesce up into our spirit, we have to dig some wells. The refreshment, healing, joy, peace, and growth you need will only come if you dig some spiritual wells and keep them open. Last is for Isaac is that he's a man of purpose. God was working in Isaac's life. He was destined to fulfill a role in history uh, and thusly in our lives as well. Remember his name pops up in the Bible all the time. He's, he's the great three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's affecting our lives today. If Isaac had doubted God, 
been distracted so that he couldn't hear the voice of God, or if he chose not to believe what God said, then he would not, could not be called a man of purpose. But as I started, let me finish or get close to the end here by saying to you, you too are a man or woman of purpose. Don't be negligent in pressing into what God's called you to be and to do. This thought came to me, I've, I've heard it said before in messages, but the same God that called Abraham, the same God that's now dealing with Isaac, the same God that will lead Jacob, is the same God that's calling me and you. That is an awesome thought. The same God. I'm thankful for that. He knows us by name. And He has a profound purpose for our lives. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in those things. Are you walking in the beforehand stuff that God has destined for you? I encourage you, my friend, come to that. Be a man or woman of great prayer. Know God's Word. Be on fire for Jesus. Be Spirit-filled. This world needs us. Ask God for great courage. Dig deeper to open a well of faith. A well of evangelism and the word of the Lord coming out of you. A well of hope in your life. Well, what wells need to be reopened? Or maybe opened for the first time for you? I want to go through these real quickly. I've got several. You write them down if you're taking notes. And just put a couple of words up there that you can actually see. That will help you remember them. The well of faith and believing God. Take God literally at His word. Has your well been filled up with dirt and stones of some unbelief? Have you stepped back from where you were 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Step back into it. Take God at face value, the word. And do not doubt. Open that well today. I credit this next one with Barbara. She, she and I had a conversation in the hallway. She mentioned it and I thought, I, I agreed with her. I said, yeah, that's a good, that's a good well. That's a good well. Uh, I didn't have it on my list. But I'm putting it there. Is the well of healing. Your well of faith for healing has been cluttered with some disappointment. Misappropriation of your faith. Maybe misunderstanding of the word at times. We've all done that. I've done that. I can tell you stories. It's time to clean that well out and believe God again. Now you're on the, my next one. I was hoping to be on the well of healing. Is it not there? Is the well of healing there? Oh, okay. <laughs> my mistake. Doesn't take it away. The well of healing. The well of love, care, giving, and selflessness. Maybe you're finding yourself right now I'm just kind of living for myself. It's us four, no more. Me, myself, and I. My family, this and that. We guard our time. We guard our stuff. There was a time in life that you just gave yourself away. You just gave yourself away to so many things. And you just didn't worry about what God would supply after. You just knew He'd take care of you. You need to open that well. Maybe there's some debris of materialism in your well. And you need to just turn loose of that so that effervescent well of His love and caring for other people and you give yourself away again. The well of hope. Maybe you've been disillusioned, bitter, or wounded by someone or some circumstance. You've lost this hope. Maybe you've gone through a divorce or you've had the death of a loved one. You've lost a job or your financial resources. 
You feel trapped and you see that you're on a dead end street and you don't have any way, you can't get past it. God says, open up the well of hope again and let my joy come through you. And you believe in me and trust in me. I believe I'm speaking to some people today. The well of prayer and communion and intimacy with God. You know, busyness is our biggest enemy in America right now. We're distracted. We have wandering hearts. Charms of the world are choking out and obstructing that well of intimacy with God. It's time to close out the noise of the world and run to our quiet place where we can listen to Father's voice and listen deeply and drink from that river. How about the well of devotion and passion? I put over there on the side or underneath there, time and time in our heart. You ever hear, hear someone say, you know, I just don't have time for that now. Uh, my heart's just not in that now. Well, that's a sad, that's a sad word. If our hearts aren't drawing us to devotion or to service or to witnessing, or we've got a well that's stopped up. We need to ask God, help me get my devotion and passion for you back and open that well. The well of praise and worship. I mentioned this one earlier. I'll take no, not much time with it, but here's what came to me as I was thinking of it. You know, the psalmist says in chapter 45, verse 1, Psalm 45, 1, he says, My heart is overwhelmed with a good thing. You were once, you had times in your life you were lost in worship, in wonder and awe. You were overwhelmed with who Jesus was and is. But you haven't been overwhelmed in a long time. You haven't. It's time to reopen that well. He also says, the psalmist says, My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Just so many words I want to say to you, Lord. I want to tell you how much I love you, what you mean to me. My adoration is great. Our, our tongues are dry. There's not many words. We go, we have a heart that wants to, and then it just doesn't flow. Open the well of praise and worship. Three more. The well of holiness and sanctification. A pure heart. To live sinless as much as possible. To keep short sin accounts. And this, this, this little scripture right here, this phrase out of this word just protects me so many times. Only the pure in heart will see God. I'm telling you, that has guarded me. That's been a bumper thing that I've bumped up against. And God said, no, no. If you, if you go there, you're not going to see me. You're not going to experience me. I'll, I'll pull back. If that's where you want to go. Holiness and sanctification set apart to be His and His alone. The well of mercy and forgiveness. We hold no grudges. We don't hold anybody in account. They've done us wrong. And there's people in this world, maybe in this sanctuary right now, and you're carrying some grudges. You're carrying some unforgiveness. If that's there, that well will stop up. And you don't love like you used to love if that's there. And then lastly, wells of steadfastness and faith, faithfulness. God's eyes, the Word says, God is, is His eyes are going all across the world. Who is a faithful man? Who's a faithful woman? Will He stop when He sees you? And there's, there's one. He's faithful in all things. He's steadfast in all things. Rooted, grounded, planted on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Can't be knocked off. He's there. He's not one way one time, one way another. One way at church, one way at home, one way at work. He's steadfast, immovable. Do you need to open that well? I've saved this quote for the last. I ran across it early in my study for my preparation for today. And I want to share with it with you now. Let's go ahead and put that up. A writer said about, about digging a real well. Now this isn't spiritual. He's talking about digging wells. A well provides life-giving supply of water. Digging one 
is a costly, emotional act of faith. It's hard labor propelled by the belief that down in that hole, the water awaits. So let me ask you, do you believe there is life-giving water at the end of any of those wells I just mentioned? Do you believe that? Maybe God has spoken to you about a well that wasn't up there. I'm sure there's many, many more. Some specific well you need to dig out. As you know, I pretty much am the author of, uh, with Stephen's uh, coaching and help on how we want it said, I'm the author of the email that you get on Saturday mornings. You are reading those with gusto, right? I told you in yesterday's email that I was going to give you a gift at the end of the service today. Well, I didn't lie, but you're not going to get it. Amazon cheated me. You know, sometimes they say it's going to be delivered by, and then two days later you get a notice that says, oh, I'm sorry, your, your shipment's been delayed. Well, that's what happened. But I'm going to get them in because I want you to have them. Here's what I was going to give you. I was going to give you something about the size of a teaspoon. Actually, that's what it is. It's a teaspoon, but it's shaped, and it's made out of metal. Some were silver, some were gold. Plated, or painted. <laughs> but it's shaped in the this, in this shape of a shovel. Looks just like a shovel you dig in the ground with. And I wanted to give it to you today... And ask you, and, and you come see me next week. I'll probably be hanging around. I'll give, if, if, if I get them in, I'll, I'll give you one. I wanted you to have it either by your bedside or by your place where you read your Bible. And I want you to take it and just hold it in your hand every day and say, God, what, what well do you want me to dig into today? What well can I reopen in my life today? What well do, that you've had me working on Can I celebrate? We're down so far. We haven't hit dirt, water yet. But we're working on it. Encourage me, Father. I believe God wants to have us open some new wells. And some old ones. We need it, church. Some of you have said things to me. You didn't say open the wells, but you say, we need this again. And I know that's what you're thinking. We need to open some wells of our forefathers. And ask God to multiply His presence here. Refresh us again. But it's going to start with you. It won't start with us collectively, I can tell you right now. It'll start with you personally to get your wells open first. Well, I hope this has been directive. It's been helpful. And I hope you do believe that, that thing's still up there even though it's costly and it's an emotional act of faith, look, you're promised there's going to be water at the end of that hole. I hope you don't break through into a muddy thing. I don't believe you will. You know what I think is going to be down there? A river! Like under my cousin's property, like we saw coming out of that hole in Dora, Missouri. There's a river. All you have to do is tap into it. Keep that well open. Guard it with your heart. And God is going to do great things in our lives. Stand with me. And look, when you break through to that well, that river, I want you to drink freely and then share it with the rest of us. Give us something to drink with you as you break in. Lord, we thank you for the story of Isaac in the book of Genesis today, what we've, this thing we've explored together. Let it not be just another sermon, but something that affects us for quite some time. Actually affects us until we break through some wells and we see how glorious it can be. And then we'll just want to dig another one.
Help us to get our eyes off the Philistine culture and on you. On that next place you want us to go to. That next well you want us to dig. And there's some wells that our forefathers dug out for us and we've let them get clogged up. And there's some new wells you want us to break into. Would you lead us, guide us, give us strength, courage, hope, ambition, godly sanctification and holiness while we do it, and that we not be envious of someone else that breaks through first. Prosperous as you prospered Isaac. We want to see our church grow, our lives grow, our families changed and transformed. And we know as the patriarchs of our own homes, it's up to us to make sure those wells are open and flowing freely. We love you, Father. We love you for showing us how to live. Your word is glorious and giving us direction. Step by step, how we're to live this Christian life. We have no excuse. Jesus, we're on this side of the cross. Jesus has given his life for us so that we might live in victory far above anything we could ask or think. Bless us as we go into this week. Let us walk according to your will and ways. Let us right now just say yes to Jesus. Whatever He asks for you to do, just my answer, Lord, right now, my answer. Even before I hear you ask the question or tell me what to do, my answer is yes. I seek to obey you, to have an obedient heart as a son and daughter of the Most High God. In Jesus' name, amen. Altar team, come quickly, if you would. Come quickly. And if you have a, want somebody to agree with you about opening a well, anything else, come and receive prayer today. I'm going to let you be dismissed. You can stay, or you can stay in worship, or you can leave whatever is uh, necessary for you. Praise team, thank you for blessing me today. That worship, I'm telling you, was awesome. And thank you for doing that. It's great. Lead us now. Send us out.